In this episode of Common Sense Amia, we'll be talking to the founder of Lancashire Hemp. He, along with about a dozen and a half Amish farmers, have created a co-op focused on growing high-quality CBD hemp flour that they both wholesale and turn into all sorts of fun products, from vape cartridges to pre-rolls. Our guest today leaned into the healing power of cannabis as a means to cope with PTSD and has crafted an entire life around educating people on the medicinal aspects of the plant while focused on immense power cannabis can have on growing a community. Caleb Kaufman of Lancashire Hemp, welcome to Common Sense Amia. Thanks for coming here. Appreciate you. Hey, thanks for having me. So I definitely appreciate you taking the time out of, I, I understand the value of sunlight for you and that... Uh, you know, the daylight hours as a farmer are uh, crucial to, to your day to day. So I appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. Yeah, happy to be here. It's always fun to share the story and get to, you know, meet other new people. Hell yeah, I totally agree with you. Um, we're both Northeast guys. Uh, we're from wildly different parts of the Northeast. Uh, we have gas stations. We have convenience stores, Caleb Kaufman of Lancashire <laughs> Hemp. We have those yep. up here, but Wawa is a whole other thing that I don't understand. And I'm hoping we can start this podcast off with getting into the real important things about life. Uh, and to me right now, that's understanding the nearly religious uh, <laughs> pedestal that Wawa has been put up, put on. What's the story with Wawa? What am I missing out on? That's a great place to start. I, I agree. A, I agree. A, a big fan of Wawa. I mean, it's, it is kind of a funny thing because people come into the area and you're like, oh, do you want to go to Wawa gas station? That doesn't necessarily sound like the, you know, best high quality destination to gather some food for a stranger. But, um, you know, it's good. Here's what I like about it. They have some solid hoagies. We're big hoagie people. Uh -huh. uh, the coffee's pretty good. I'm a coffee snob. I'm not saying theirs is best, but if you're traveling and you're on the go, they're a good they're a good coffee pit stop. They just got all the goodies. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, everybody around here loves a good Wawa run. People love Wawa where you're at. And I, it amazes me. It definitely amazes me. So thank you for explaining that to me. I mean, that seems like pretty yeah. straightforward. I get good stuff there. Okay. I get it. <laughs> I get yeah. it. Um, I appreciate the explanation. You've, uh, you seem to, from, from what I, you know, know about you and I, you know, only, this is the first time I've ever spoken to you, but I've, you know, done my research. Um, yeah. But you seem to have found this happy place, which combines uh, passion, your passion for farming and agriculture, you know, coupled with entrepreneurial skills that it, it looks like that you've developed over, you know, several years. I know your heart is in farming. My stomach is more interested in talking to you about ice cream. So Ooh, I was yeah. hoping okay. maybe we could start, uh, <laughs> start there and you could you could talk to me sure. about Kaufman's ice cream company where'd that come from yeah Kaufman's ice cream and company um an idea that I shared with my wife brother and sister-in-law so I was I spent a lot of time uh, in landscaping horticulture so I do have you know love with working soil and plants as you mentioned that turned into farming uh, for a while, I was doing uh, snow removal one cold winter night and uh, came up with this idea for an ice cream truck based out of a local creamery here that we really uh, loved. And so, yeah, we, we decided to do it. Uh, the four of us came together and we created Penny's Ice Cream Truck, named after my daughter, Penny. Um, and that That's was awesome. in 
2015 and uh it went pretty well it's great ice cream we have since then bought out that creamery so we make we make the ice cream we have the truck we've got a a little trailer and we also have a cart so we do a lot of events we like to show up at weddings uh corporate events and we just go out and uh, we serve some delicious ice cream that's awesome do you have a does your truck play a song no so we're not like your traditional ice cream truck we're we're like more of a high end. We cater, like we drive like up, a food truck, like a food truck. Yep. That's yeah. awesome. And then we, you know, I'll just, some of our top flavors. I was um, just going to, that's my next question. What is your top yeah. flavor? Top <laughs> What's your flavors, top we, we've got some unique ones. So peanut butter Oreo is, pro, is probably the number one and it's as delicious as it sounds followed by my personal favorite, uh, black raspberry Oreo really good. Uh, we also do a lemon ginger cookies and cream. That's amazing. Uh, we probably have like a hundred some flavors. So the list goes on. That's awesome. That's, that's so yeah. cool. It's not, I, I mean, I was picturing uh, kind of a scoop shop sort of thing, but not that at all. So um, how does that work for you? I mean, have you just, you've been around since 2015. So I'm at, and you've done well, you, you bought out the dairy company. Like that's, those yeah. are baller moves, dude. So I'm curious, like, how did you, how did you grow that? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, it was a big, it was a family kind of endeavor with my brother, my wife, his wife. So eventually my parents got involved and they're, they're very excited. They were very proud of, you know, their sons. Um, So they're running a lot of the day-to-day stuff. And eventually I love ice cream. I love the idea. I love creating, but it wasn't my passion, kind of like you mentioned. Uh, So right now, you know, I get to be a part of it. I do a lot of administrative work there, but uh, my parents, they run the day-to-day. Sarah, she makes the ice cream. So we've got like a whole nother team. Um, so I get to kind of just, you know, take a step back and focus on Lancashire. That's awesome. I, I love that it's a family company too. I mean, yeah. family companies are like, it's nothing crazy. Like in any, you know, city, you know, Main Street in any city is, you know, it's full of, it's full of family companies. But yep. as a person with a family, <laughs> the thought of working with my mom and dad, um, not so much for me. So I'm always amazed when that works. How it not now with that said, I work with my wife, you know, my wife, yep. Kate, you know, and I started Canna Planners a number of years ago together. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, luckily for me, she loves working with, with people. <laughs> yeah. And so she gets to take over a lot of the day-to-day stuff that, that I used to do, but, you know, that works. The thought of, you know, it's just a, it's crazy because those are relationships, you know, it's, it's, you have, you have your, your interpersonal family relationship. And then, you know, the lines are totally blurred from when you leave, you know, the dairy bar and go home. How do, yeah. I mean, I, I assume at this point it's, it, cause your day to day is not so much focused on the ice cream, but in those early days, like how did you kind of separate how did you draw boundaries? How did you keep yourselves hmm. sane? I will say very honestly, not very well. Um, hmm. The the ice cream business was specifically really tough for my brother and I, to be honest. Um, and there's more reasons outside of ice cream. You know, we both come from a background of trauma, uh, which we can, you know, get into more on the hemp side. But, you know, we had a, it was, it, there's definitely been some tough moments. It's a pros and cons with everything, right? The balance of there's a lot of good working with family. There's a lot of trust there that you're not going to find elsewhere. But then there's also like everybody thinks they know everything and they know everybody's stuff. So 
Um, there were some bittersweet moments, but overall, like, you know, it's, it's strengthening the relationships, learning to communicate better, learning how to set those boundaries, man, that took quite a few years though. Um, I'd say not until the later years, like you said. So the, the early years, uh, out of practicality and survival, um, actually my brother opened up his house and me, my wife and two-year-old daughter lived there for over a year. I think that was probably in year three of pennies out of out of survival mode we were like hey if business is going to make if it's going to succeed and work we got to sacrifice because we can't afford to pay everybody we're small so we took a different route and said let's you know conserve our expenses on the rental side so we really did take a a family approach we supported each other uh and got through some hard times that's awesome i mean you know and that's just so I, i can imagine that that was so important not only I hope it strengthened your family relationships, but I'm, I, I would bet the farm, no pun intended, but I would, I would wager that that had an incredible impact on you in terms of your entrepreneurial skills and how you can, like, if you can deal with your, I mean, my brother and I would be beating each other up straight up, you know, like it would, it would get to that. Uh, and maybe it did for you and, and yours, but you know, like, kind of avoiding that, especially when mom is the HR department, you have to, you want to avoid all that stuff. Right. Uh, So taking kind of those learning lessons and knowing how to, uh, you know, not push it to where you want to beat up your, (laughs) your brother or whatever, uh, but can actually grow a company. um, I imagine you took some, some really good lessons with you into your next endeavors. I did. Yeah, definitely strengthen, you know, Lancashire from the beginning with the experience. Yeah. Starting a business from scratch, doing that to a point where it's, you know, a successful wheelhouse that can churn and start to produce something consistently uh, was invaluable. Um, So I didn't go to college. I didn't do, you know, higher education than high school. For me, I just went out in the world and I learned through experience, uh, digging my hands into the labor and doing lots of reading and paying attention, I guess. So um, you know, the experience, you can't replace that. I learned, I learned a lot and it has helped me here with Lancashire. I'd say be able to grow it to be something bigger outside of myself. Um, mm-hmm. you know, pennies was, was, is great and is very good. Uh, but it's a, you know, it is what it is. It's a small family business. Um, yeah. I guess I wanted to do something bigger that could have, you know, impact communities, impact change, uh, because that's kind of my, I guess, drive is to really impact some change in our society. Yeah, no, that's that definitely reads loud and clear, Caleb, for sure. Um, well, it's, it's cool to hear that story. I one of yeah. my first jobs was working at an ice cream shop. Um, oh, it was nice. actually like it was a clam shack in Rhode Island, and I was the ice cream scooper. And it was one of my first like real jobs at a place. Um, but I don't know, maybe you can tell by Zoom, but I'm a big guy and I've always been a big guy. And let's just say I love ice cream. Um, So I think that job probably lasted maybe two weeks. So like two full weekends before I was replaced by, you know, some (laughs) tiny little wafy lactose intolerant um, high schooler. Uh, And they moved me over to like cleaning squid. (laughs) So that was, (laughs) that was my professional ice cream uh, experience there. Uh, So walk me through uh, kind of, one of the things I love talking about is the transitional periods between like what you did and what you're doing and like that mindset of where you're at at that time in your life and maybe 
maybe it was a really easy decision because working with your family is, you know, maybe was hard and <laughs> it was a, it was yeah. a simple decision to kind of break out on your own thing, but walk me through kind of those months or whatever weeks where you're kind of figuring out the in-between space between, you know, leaving your day-to-day -day at, uh, you know, Kaufman's ice cream and company and, and maybe thinking about moving into Lancashire hemp. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Yeah. It's a fun kind of transition. So I'm trying to think it was, you know, somewhere around three or four years into pennies, maybe five, it was, you know, starting to get to the point where um, just more personally, where I think I was at, I, so I guess we'll jump, you know, I remembered that I was sexually abused in my late twenties. Uh, so that was right after we had started right before we had started pennies um you were so in your I, late 20s when you remembered you were sexually abused or you were sexually abused in your 20s correct which yeah, one number one i remembered okay, okay. In my late you had 20s. okay i'm with you yeah so my my brain did a really hard disassociation you know out of protection from the trauma um so yeah late 20s i kind of get hit with that truth again because you know apparently my brain's in a safe space so um that happened then right after i started pennies so kind of sharing that because that has a lot to do with why I left. So, you know, it, it was, it was pretty tough wrestling with that started going to counseling to unpack it. That's when I first got introduced to CBD. Um, so that's when things started to overlap. So as the day, -day How so what was the, I mean, what was the correlation, you know, what, why is that, why was that impactful to unpacking the trauma? Which specific your introduction to CBD? Well, because it really started to help me open up. So, you know, one of the things that I struggle with and, you know, with, first of all, obviously my brain and body got to the point where it didn't even want to remember certain events. So I, I have trouble connecting with myself in a sense. So like, um, I don't know all the clinical terms, but basically, you know, living very disassociative, like of connecting from my own self and memories. So there's a lot of barriers what CBD and cannabis does is it creates a lot of bridges. So then I can easily access my emotions. Uh, I can understand them. I can process them without getting overwhelmed or stuck. Um, so cannabis really helps open up those things for me. So CBD, as I was going to counseling was I'm talking about things, but then also physically and psychologically, I'm taking plant-based medicine that is um, you know, helping those neurological pathways get stimulated. So I, my thoughts can travel them easier, safer, more comfortably. Um, so that I was experiencing that in real time as I'm going to counseling using CBD, I'm still working at pennies and then I'm starting to, you know, I'm a pretty introvert person. I'll say that. So practically, uh, ice cream's not meant for me because it's social. You do sure. a lot of talking and that's just not my skill set. I'm, I'm pretty quiet. I do good on one-on-ones and small groups, but um, the ice cream world ended up becoming pretty draining for me. Um, so yeah. practically, I was, I was struggling because I was giving a lot of energy. I was trying to heal and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't you know, go out and put a smile on my face and be the ice cream guy because I'm really struggling internally. And I, I need some space to just like not smile at somebody and go you know, work through my trauma. Sure. Um, so practically that kind of happened. So that's the answer to the question of transition. I, I started to realize that. And I was like, that's okay. Um, I can move on. So I started to share that, you know, with my, my wife and partners, brother, sister, family, and, you know, it just kind of made sense. Like I said, we were at a point where we wanted some change. My brother actually was 
you know, they wanted to move out west to Oregon, so they wanted to make some change there. So I think everybody was ready to say, hey, this was a fun little thing. Um, how does it look from here? So, for example, my parents ended up buying my brother out. He moved out west to Oregon, and they're doing great out there. And, you know, he's getting to live uh, his life and dream there. And, you know, we were able to start that because of pennies. And now my parents, they stepped in and they're, they're happy because uh, they get to run the ice cream business with me and my wife and they're just very proud. And so, yeah, it did work out, but I guess that's kind of a long winded answer to the, the transition. question. Not long winded at all. In fact, it's interesting <laughs> to hear that because generally when I not, yeah, generally when I ask that kind of question, the, the answer is almost always from a professional perspective, right? Okay. Like yeah. I, you know, whatever I, I, I was fired from, in my case, I was fired from my job, my job at the time, or, or, you mm, know, like I've heard right. it all, but they're mostly professionally uh, motivated or, you know, entrepreneurially motivated. Uh, and that's not to say there's not emotion involved there for sure is, sure. but this is one of, I think the, this is the first time I've heard that the emotion, the, uh, the looking inward part of it, um, you know, this, it doesn't sound like it was entrepreneurially motivated in the beginning. This wasn't an, uh, maybe not even, uh, was it an, amb- I don't want to put words in your mouth. Was that an ambition of yours? Like, was there beyond the ice cream? Like, do you, is, is being an entrepreneur, which you obviously are, do you even consider that as part of kind of your personal identity? Oh, I consider very little part of my personal identity. <laughs> well, that, and that, that's, that's, that. that's kind of what I thought you'd say, right? Like, yeah. so, so what I'm generally faced with when I ask that kind of question is, is the exact opposite is like, I'm an entrepreneur. I had no choice. This sure. thing I'm doing was my calling, wherein it sounds like I'm my calling. I had to figure myself out and as I figured myself out, I discovered this thing, CBD, and that led me down that path. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, that's it's wow. at, pretty similar to that. So as I was using CBD, experiencing that healing, I wanted to share my story because, again, my desire within me has always been to to share, uh, to love the neighbor, to to make the world better. Um, so out of that, as I was bettering myself because I truly believe for the world to be better. It's just each individual needs to go inward and make his himself themselves better. Um, and if we all do that, the world will be a better place. And so for me, it was, I'll just do my part. I'll, I'll do my work. I'll dig deep and figure out, you know, what I need to, and then I'm going to go share that because if we can connect as human beings and say, Hey, I'm not the only one who's got, you know, dark stuff inside in the past, And there you can see another light. It gives you the courage to also do that journey. So that's what happened with Lancashire. Um, I was very excited then to, to start something, but I was practically very busy with pennies and, you know, I have a family as well. And family is very important to me to be a present father. Um, So I don't like to overwork. I'm very, you know, family time is very important to me. Um, so I was trying to grapple, well, how do you do this? So I was able to start Lancashire kind of on the side. So, um, I ended up leaving pennies and let's say that would have been 2019. So the beginning of 2019, I left pennies. Um, and I actually just got a job as a landscape crew kind of manager. I was just like an queen. I just want to go work. I just want to kind of be quiet, 
put my hands in the dirt. Um, so I just did that for a little bit. But to be honest, man, I whew, that was my first reintroduction to working for another human being in probably like over 10 years. Oh, I and love this. Wow. That okay, was so so hold on, hold on. So that so what you're saying right there comes to the core of an entrepreneur, which is sure. like which is like um and again, I'm going to say this from my point of view, you know, maybe yep. the, the ego saying, Hey man, you're, you're smarter than that guy. Or, Hey man, you're going to let that guy, like, you know, you're getting that, whatever it is. Hey, you know, like fill in the blank about whatever you think about your boss. Right. Because let this, me share this, mine then. Yes. Go. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be different. You're going to get a kick out of this. So for me, quality of life is what it came down to. And what I mean by that is, so this guy, he, he just was, he was controlling. He didn't speak with kindness. And I kept telling him over and over, it wasn't about, wasn't really about the money. It wasn't about the jobs I was doing. It was literally about just the way he communicated with me. And it was very, I felt emotionally abusive. And I was not going to live my life showing up in a space every day where some guy is going to emotionally abuse me and take advantage of me just because I need to make some money. So honestly, it ended up being more of a stance and rebellion against the man and how society has enslaved humankind, to be honest, of like, yeah. how do we get out of this space? So I, I experienced that again with this guy and I was like, whoa, no way I'm out of here. Yeah. Um, and then I was fortunate enough to start working for a small local hemp company um, that was doing uh, you know, some hemp growing in the area. And that's eventually how I got connected with the Amish community and hemp. So that kind of that, snowballed into Lancashire once again. I, I love your ability to, I mean, you definitely know yourself, you know what I mean? You know, you know, you know, your boundaries, you know, what, what, you know, I'm a nine to fiver. I can't work for somebody, you know, like whatever those person, I, I, res I completely respect that about you. Absolutely. I think that's awesome. Yep. Um, I think regardless of the, and that's really the thing it like, regardless of the reason why you have some sort of, I, I think the biggest difference in that sense between you and I is you had that taste before, you know, you already had that taste. You built an ice cream company, right? You knew what it was. I mean, I don't know what you were doing before that, but uh, you know, you had spent several years being basically your own, you know, boss, right? Yep. Cut to yep. work for a landscaper and all of a sudden not. And you're like, oh, you had that perspective of kind of, you know, professional right. freedom, autonomy. Yep. yep. That's not, yeah. you know, like once I had that taste and, and I knew it existed, I said, you know, the first thing I said is, oh, shit, I've been nothing but a terrible employee my whole life. Right. I ain't going back. <laughs> like, there's no right. way. There's no way. Yeah. Once you have that sweet taste of uh, professional freedom and this is I mean, definitely something, you know, uh, like a big realization. It's like an epiphany for people because I think that there's and maybe you can relate to this, but like there is a ton of fear for most entrepreneurs, you know, every human, but in that entrepreneurial journey of like the, that leap, you know, that leap happens in like super duper, super slow motion, right? Like it, that leap yeah. is happening over the course of maybe a couple of years, you know what I mean? Um, maybe several, right? So you're like a thousand little leaps every day, right? Yeah, totally. And each one is like maybe 
a, a, a different, scarier, you know, a scarier version than the one before. But once you once you understand that you can do that, this whole sense of elation <laughs> runs over you and you know that you can be kind of self-sustaining. Can you relate right. to that yeah. at all? Yeah, it, it took a while, I think, you know, well, with with pennies, it was very easy to get that feeling because it took off right away. Lancashire yeah. was a little different because, you know, I kind of had to start over. It was it was starting over again, a whole new business. So, I, you know, we tied ourselves to a whole nother organism thing. Um, but, yeah, I definitely relate to that. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's just definitely interesting. And and then I feel like every time I have a conversation, you know, with every business owner I speak with there, they experience that epiphany of whatever it is. Oh, you know, like uh, the, you know, the joy of that, that first contract or, you know, getting into your first retail store and you're like, Oh my God, I got this. I can take care of myself. You know, I don't have to rely on this asshole landscaper boss who is, you know, thinks I need him. I don't need him. I've got myself and I've now figured that out. Yep. Yeah. And for me, it's always been, again, just about how do I get that so I can share that experience and pass it on. And one cool thing we, you know, I've been able to do with Lancashire is, you know, adding other people to the team and sharing that space with people. So it's always about, you know, like, again, find it within face the fear, you know, there's a great uh, Luke Skywalker quote, you know, I'm ready. What is it here? Because it's one of my favorites. It says, The destiny of a Jedi is to confront fear. And I yeah. always tell people, like, I'm not afraid. And I'm not. Like, I have faced the inner demons. And if you can face, you know, the inner demons, the past, the traumas, and you can do that type of work, you can start a business because yeah, there's definitely. nothing scarier than facing the inner <laughs> truth, you know, than, than we can kind of experience on the outside. Bro, I can't even imagine that in your case. Like all of a sudden you're sitting there one day and your brain's like, hey, Caleb, remember that one time when you were a kid? And you're like, oh, you know, that's that's such an extreme for you because, you know, most people unpack that. And and I'm sure that you did and have, but most people kind of get, you know, get to that realization of whatever trauma. Right after putting in the work, <laughs> you know what yep. I mean? They're putting in yeah. the work, making some sort of realization, then getting better. Like that all hit you at once while you were starting multiple companies. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's been a, a wild ride the last couple of years, but I will say like, I would have changed a thing. Like I've been able to experience a lot of beauty and healing. Um, and I feel very fortunate. I've got a great family um, and life. And again, I'm just like, how do I share that? doing these types of talks, meeting, you know, you, whoever's listening out there. Hello. Nice to meet you. There is good in the world. We can save the planet, you know, all of those things. Let, let's do this together. I totally agree with you. I love that sentiment. Um, I'm hoping maybe you can paint me a little picture of Lancaster County. Uh, I've only yeah. been there maybe once or twice. And the most substantial amount of time was during my eighth grade field trip in 1991, Okay, where'd you go? Um, well, we went on, you know, we were on our way from uh, Rhode Island town to DC and we stopped, you know, we did, we did the whole yeah. thing. We did the Amish, we did the whole thing. Um, yeah. <clears throat> two things happened on that trip. One, I discovered the Smashing Pumpkins, you know, uh, okay. that was life altering to me. The nice. second thing that happened to me was I declared my love to Heather Hominoff. Um, I bought her a necklace with a cross on it. Uh, okay. 
but she was Jewish. I had no idea. So it didn't turn out that great for me. <laughs> uh, eighth, eighth grade was a, it was a rough point for me. That trip will never, I, I'm still traumatized by my trip there. I'm wondering if you can paint me a bit of a picture of Lancaster County. I'm thinking, you know, farms. Yeah. yeah. So let me, you know, the Lancashire is chosen for a reason. So I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are a little shire. That is yeah. truly the inspiration. We're rolling hills. We're little farms. Um, and the way we're set up is, you know, there's 50 to 100 acre farms. And let's say there's a thousand of those. And we're all just, you know, all these little micro farms, which again, plays into the model of why Lancashire works so well as a co-op, because, you know, that's what Lancaster is. You've got these rolling hills. You've got your horse and buggies. You've got lots of Amish farmers uh, all here, you know, doing small businesses, uh, growing produce. So, yeah, it's it's, it's a pretty pretty beautiful scenic place. That's awesome. I, uh, can you, so talk to me about kind of, um, CBD at that point. Like, so Vermont where I'm from was slightly ahead of the game along with a a handful of other States, um, prior to the farm bill, people were putting hemp in the ground here. Um, and you know, Vermont, similarly to where you are in Pennsylvania, it's a lot of farms. It's a lot of, I mean, we've, the decline of the, the dairy industry here in Vermont has been a painful thing to watch for like literally 30 years. Like it's just yeah. a slow, slow, slow death. Um, yep. The farms are still all there. The cows are not. Um, yep. So when CBD entered the scene here in Vermont, there were plenty of farmers who were eager to stop hay in their fields, who were eager to like, you know, put the final pin into the dairy barn that or the, the, the dairy farm that, that had been, you know, slowly dying. Um, yeah. It was probably a, a, a bit of, you know, capitalizing on opportunities, but also maybe seeing dollar signs. You know, I don't think a lot of people understood the difference between, hemp and cannabis and thought that like maybe price points were going to be similar. Um, so I'm kind of curious, you know, Pennsylvania, I think happened a little closer to the farm bill, if not with the farm bill. So I'm curious what was going on in, in yeah. kind of Pennsylvania agriculture around that time. Do you have similar things happening? Um, so yeah, we started out slower. Um, they were doing hemp research permits, I believe early, like 2016, 2017. So Mm -hmm. right before the farm bill, uh, but there was a limited number. And again, it was more of a research. So I think the state was probably even picking the genetics, all of that type of stuff. Um, But then, yeah, 2019, that's when everybody, you know, kind of jumped in right where you're saying when the farm bill was signed, uh, PA did have a very big response to that. Very similar to like you're saying, you know, we have dairy farms, we've got small produce farmers, um, you know, the farmer is struggling right now in America. Farming yeah, has been time. forgotten. We forgot that, hey, you actually have to grow food. that just doesn't appear in the grocery store. Um, and in order to do that, you have to pay a fair price to the person who's doing it. So, you know, we, we've kind of forgotten farmers. Um, you know, part of what we're trying to do is to save that. So, yeah, we were equally um, as excited in Pennsylvania for hemp for the same reasons. Let's get a cash crop. Farmers can make some money, save the land, replace some dairy. Um, but, you know, it was kind of a sad start. There was a big oversupply because every farmer in America apparently was feeling the same way. Yeah. Um, but there was a lot of hemp grown by a lot of 
farmers that were desperate. Um, so it did create an oversupply. I guess I was fortunate enough that the way I started Lancashire was by myself. And I did start very small and strategically, uh, probably because of my experience with starting pennies and understanding, you know, how businesses work and what actually it takes to start a business. Um, so I approached hemp from that mindset where most people in, you know, they came to it from the farming mindset, not really thinking about the economics and, you know, the marketing side. Um, but yeah, so we were, we were all excited here um, and it was very similar. Yeah. What attracted you to the, I mean, yeah. What attracted you to the Amish community? What was the kind of pull there? Yeah. You know um, it's, they're going to do what they say they're going to do and they're good growers, you know, and that's tough to find where it was. I knew that, you know, I could, I could come in and offer a little bit of knowledge on how to grow cannabis because, you know, I was working with that, doing a little more research. Um, so I was able to offer some knowledge there, but then they were also able to teach me just some kind of more traditional farming practices that I kind of found valuable because, you know, even though we're in the day of modern technology and you can commercialize things, you just cannot beat, you know, hands-on work especially when it comes to farming, like there's no way to get around farming. You know, you're either planting the plant, you're caring for it with your hands or you're not. Um, so I guess I valued some of the things that they had here to offer as far as, you know, traditional farming practices, regenerative soil, uh, long-term sustainability, because these guys have been here for hundreds of years and the soil is still just as good, you know, as it used to be. And that's not by accident. Um, that's a, you know, strategic way of farming and doing things. So were they experiencing a lot of the same just kind of decline in, in their agricultural businesses? Like what was that? Yeah. Okay. So yes, that, that question, yeah. but also like talk me through those early days of like, okay, um, I validated this idea myself and now I'm going to bring it to this community. So like, where, where were your Amish farmer neighbors at that point? And what was having those conversations with them like? Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. 2019, I was starting my thing. I bumped into a, a gentleman named Chet Lapp. who was uh, an introduction from my parents. Um, and he's, uh, he is an, in the plain community. He's an Amish gentleman. He's a few years older than me. He was kind of leading the charge and had, you know, the Amish knew about the change in the hemp law. So just a little history. So Lancaster County was growing hemp, you know, way before 1776, I believe. Like we have a long history of hemp here before it was, you know, outlawed. Um, so the Amish community is familiar with hemp. They know of it. And so there was an excitement as well to bring back, you know, a traditional plant. They're very much plant-based medicine people because they don't believe in, you know, pharmaceuticals. So there was a draw there uh, for the community as well, where they said, hey, you know, this could be a plant-based medicine. Uh, we want to grow it. Looks like it's going to be a cash crop. So they were kind of getting drawn into, you know, similar things. We want to save the farm. Uh, so Chet had actually gathered together a bunch of Amish guys and farmers, and they were starting a co-op and a grow. And they had started a whole nother business. Um, but it ended up not doing well because they went a little too big, too fast. But they were they were on the road. They were saying, hey, we want to do this. We want to put some sort of structure. What do you mean too big, too fast? Like like they were 
planting too much or they just were not organized or too much planting and Mm. not enough organization. So they scaled up too quickly. Yeah. There was 110 acres that was planted in 2019 by one single co-op here that Chet was a part of that. I then also helped do all of the harvesting and drying for, um, and was able to help. I mean, I don't know. I I feel like I'm not a farmer, but if memory serves, you can fit maybe a hundred hemp plants per acre. Is that Cool. You can fit 1,500 to 2,000 plants an acre. So we're talking okay. like typically a maybe shitload a shitload of plants. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of plants, like way more than necessary. Um, but again, the kind of the market and the story that everyone was hearing, including the Amish farmers was this is, you know, the hemp gold rush. Like you said, everybody had the dollars in their eyes because there's some desperation, you know, people are struggling. Uh, yeah, so there, the the thing about the cannabis industry and whether you're talking CBD or you know uh, the recreational side, the adult use or medicinal side is like all of this is is really just timing, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and a lot of it's fortunate and some of it's unfortunate. You know, we're lucky that this industry is coming around, but it sucks that the dairy industry is you know tanking. And that these farmers need to, you know, I suppose pivoting is part of any business, but like when it comes to agriculture, it's just a tougher pill for me to swallow. Yeah, it is a big transition, you know, how you're running your farm, how you're doing things, your source of income. So yeah, it's a lot. So, so talk me through, first of all, what is a co-op? Second of all, talk me through starting that co-op. Yeah, so I guess a co-op to me and how I define it is really just it's a share the pie mentality. So, you know, it's when you get a bunch of people together, we say, all right, we're all going to trust each other to a certain amount because we have a similar vision and we're all going to work towards that. Um, And I guess I pitched that vision via Lancashire and said, hey, if you trust me, I can, you know, lead this, I'll organize it, I'll facilitate it. We don't need to make it about, you know, like we need to share the pie evenly. So let's make sure we all get paid. We all feel good about it. And if you guys trust me, just again, to facilitate that, make sure everyone gets what they're owed, um, you know, we can we can try to do this. So 15 farmers were like, yeah, let's do this. And that was 2020. Uh, one of them was Chet Lapp. And then him and I have since become, you know, really close partners. He's a shareholder in Lancashire. And again, you know, he's in the plain community. So he's kind of our, you know, our branch and arm into the, the playing community that actually ties Lancashire pretty closely. Um, so that was really cool. That's awesome. I mean, the so if we just boil this back to like basics, right? Yeah. Starting a company, very tough. Starting a company with a founder, tough, but for maybe different reasons. And, and it sounds like, reasons you experienced um <laughs> for better or for worse with you know the ice cream company yeah. so and, and i went through that you know i was i started you know i i i went through a lot of founders in the beginning you know i think that relationship of having um, not only the right person but the right person who is complementary to the skill set that you already have um it, it's like finding a diamond in the rough. So the thought of like 20 founders, right? If everybody's kind of, so, so talk me through kind of the, uh, 
decision making? How do uh, you know what is the or do they just let you kind of make decisions? So what's the planning process? How are you executing on a business plan and taking into consideration the hopes, dreams, aspirations, whatever of you know nearly twenty families? Yeah, pretty crazy. Um, so the nice, <laughs> I, can bet, I bet, I bet. <laughs> when you say it like that, she's right. Um, I don't like to use the word blessed because it has such a weird, like Christian spiritual attachment. Sure. Or, or also like hipster, you know. Right. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm very fortunate. I get it. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I understand. I'm very fortunate that, you know, I've been able to connect with a group and a community that does things that you know, maybe most people scratch their heads at, even on a business level. Like what? We don't have contracts with these farmers. This is a handshake agreement. So that's why it is a true trust of, hey, you grow this, went out into the field, spent half of your labor. You're going to harvest it. You're going to then give it to me. I'm going to take it away from your farm. It's going to disappear. You're not going to get any money yet until we go out then we got to process it and we got to formulate it. We got to put more money into it and then we're going to sell it. And then we're all going to distribute all that. So it's, it is a really cool situation where the farmers have entrusted that to me very specifically to build, you know, with the hard work that they put in the field. Um, How did you do that? So like that just, and and, and I just mean like, so, and this isn't uh, what I'm about to say isn't a negative statement. There is a quality that entrepreneurs must have in the beginning days. And for lack of a better word, it's manipulation, right? Mm -hmm. I need to, I don't, I'm not funded, right? So I need to be able to uh, instill the vision of a company into someone I hope is becomes an employee and that I can't really pay. I need to, con- you know, it's the faking it while you, till you make it sort of thing. I need to convince uh, a potential client that I'm a real company and that we can do this thing that we said we're going to do. So can you, can you talk me through that? Because, and again, manipulation isn't exactly the right word because that seems like a bad word, but I mean, yep. manipulation for uh, Good. <laughs> I'll, I'll, right. We'll change the word. So let's use influence. Okay, better word. So right, we'll way better word. Influence, because that's a good leadership word. We all we all influence Definitely. people. Period. No matter what you are. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'll just say. Um, what convinced all of these? And I counted at the, on your website. There's sixteen or seventeen families. Hmm. Right. So in my brain, because my only experience with the Amish is uh, a Weird Al Yankovic video and uh, Kingpin, the movie starting Woody Harrelson. Right. So like I'm picturing you, you know, at the town meeting, whatever you're in someone's barn. (laughs) You know what I mean? What are you saying to these people to to like let them know that you're not only the real that you mean what you say, um, but that you have a valid idea? Yeah, I guess it's a it's a combination of a lot of things. But one, you know, I show up and I do what I say I'm going to do, first of all. So I, I, lead, I lead it out. I do. I lead it. And then I also my approach to leadership is is not, you know, ego centered at all. I'm, I'm very much, you know, whatever I am, a ball of energy. I guess I'm just here to do good. And people believe that because I'm vulnerable and I share my story and I say, listen, this is who I am. This is who you get. You can choose to believe that or not. 
And I guess I have shared myself and been vulnerable enough and just been honest enough with people that, and then they watch me and they go, well, this guy is not making this up. There's no mask here. And this is not a fake story. There's no hidden agendas. The story is the story. And I guess people believe that and they see the authenticity of it. Um, so that's what I did with these farmers. Nothing there is, you know, I didn't do anything extra. I didn't even, it was just, Hey, let's come up with a simple game plan. I'm going to share that with you. If you trust it, that's great. If not sure, I wouldn't be offended, but we could do something pretty powerful together. Um, so I don't know. I just, just being myself, being true to myself. And, uh, again, being very vulnerable. Timing and authenticity, Caleb. I think, I think that's, that's yeah, right place, thing. right time. Of course, I can't take credit. You know, again, that's why I'm fortunate. I ended up at some places. But you you're know, a genuine, a of- you know, like you're again, I've known you now for 42 minutes. But, nice. you know, you you clearly come across as a genuine person. I don't think that there's any any act about you. So uh, yep. I can imagine that you. Your your ability to influence people is is probably pretty good. I guess so, which I, I'm happy to, I'm, I'm fine to admit that and say I've worked really hard to get to a place where. Well, like again, I said, I, man, it, it, it is a skill like you, you yeah. can't, you know, you creating something from nothing is hmm. uh, I, it's not an impossible task, but whatever the next thing under impossible is, it's very difficult. And, and yeah, you know, I'm like able to. to use, um, mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, I want to hear how you what's it, how, what do you I like to use words uh, more like magic, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's a miracle. <laughs> yeah, uh, not miracle as much, but like the magic, you know. Yeah, there's a yeah. I there is a study of energy that must be done to kind of understand, we'll say, the rules of the universe, and not the rules as in like the written rules, but just the fabric of existence. You know, if yes. you plant a seed in the ground and you put water on it, a tree will grow. Mm-hmm. If you do this this will happen. There's a lot of those rules that if you pay attention and you learn, uh, you can pick up on over the years. And then again, stay very focused and centered. I do a lot of meditation. I'm very, again, intentional inner healing always. So uh, a lot of those combinations, I guess, produce an authentic way to share your experience with someone and then also tap into a little bit of that magic. I love the magic, man, for sure. Yeah. Uh, the, the magic is it, I call it the sizzle, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm, you know, I, I come from sales, so it's, it's this, you, you sell them, you know, the sizzle, not the steak. It's, it's that sort of thing. But, but I understand okay. what you mean. It's the magic of, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think magic is a really good way of explaining, <laughs> of explaining yep. for sure. Um, and it sounds like, you know, like a lot of those steps you take, because again, I like to talk about kind of that internal struggle, you know, like the humanity of this whole journey. Uh, mm. It's it's important to realize that there's fear, there's for sure fear along the way. There's gonna you're gonna doubt yourself, all this stuff. But if you have a better understanding of who you are as a person, if you have mm. an understanding of maybe what your a, a, a decent understanding of what your mission and if you're lucky like you are your life's mission like i'm who the hell knows what that is you do um but all those things it just makes the math check out it does yeah yeah i like to refer to it as my sacred work you know it's something that buddhists refer to as you find something that makes your inner life feel good and gives back to you but then it also 
extends out to the others and your neighbors and impacts the world in a positive way. I totally feel that. And, and what's even, what's as cool as being self-aware enough to know that that exists, Caleb is seeing the repercussion of it. Right. Mm. Like knowing, and this is just like, and for me, for me, I'm going to call it confidence. Like I'm going to boil it down to like one of the simplest of human emotions. And, you know, I'm going to be 42 in a couple months. Like this is a relatively new um, human emotion for me. Right. And it, 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 and it's come on the back of hard work. Like I'm now confident. And this isn't about like, uh, not so much ambition. I am ambitious. And I think that all entrepreneurs have to obviously be ambitious, but I think like if you keep putting in the work on yourself, Mm -hmm. then confidence occurs (laughs) and the power that self-confidence has on your team, your community, whatever, it's like truly infectious, right? I've seen, I've seen my employees completely, you know, become completely different people. And I'm not saying this is the result of me. I'm saying this is a result of their own journey and things that I can relate to, which is, you know, they've, they've become maybe a little sure, more sure of themselves. They understand, you know, kind of this station or they, they, they get it. They're confident in themselves. And the, the impact that that has is crazy because then that's when it's, that's when it becomes that, that, uh, kind of that influence becomes real. It's not influence. These are facts. I'm not like, I'm not even manipulating you. I'm telling you truths, right? Facts are fun. I like facts. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Um, Talk to me a little bit more about the Amishness of it all. Like that's a religious community. What Mm, role does faith play in this company, if any? So yeah, to speak, (laughs) that's a funny one because it's, uh, I myself personally don't identify guests in any faith-based religion period, uh, even though I grew up in a very ultra-conservative Christian home that would have been theologically, uh, we'll say, mirrored an Amish kind of mindset, uh, even though you know I didn't grow up in, let's say, the exterior clothing setting and the buggies. You know, mm-hmm. I come from the area where the mindset here is still, you know, very, very, very conservative. Uh, my bubble is very small and included a lot of religions, so. For me, you know, at this point, I've deconstructed a lot of my trauma comes out of religious experience. So I've deconstructed a lot of that. But oddly, not oddly, I'm I'm a very spiritual being. I mean, we all are. But I guess I embrace that. And I guess if we're going to put any sort of labels or identities, I would probably more identify as someone whose focus would be, you know, an expanding spiritual consciousness. Um, so bringing that all to Lancashire, Lancashire is this kind of odd mix of you've got me, who's this weird mystical wizard dude working (laughs) with some of the most plain conservative people that would consider most of the things I talk about witchcraft, which is kind of funny because they're literally, yes, very literal. So literally (laughs) two funny, two funny worlds that have somehow found synergy. But, you know, for me, that, that is the truth of it all. You know, the, the exteriors, the labels, whether you want to call it magic or you want to say church, you know, a lot of these things we're talking about, they're just the words we feel comfortable with. So I guess I've been able to connect with people deep enough that they can get over the words and they can say, hey, you know, whatever. So my relationship with Chet Lapp, again, who's a plain Amishman, 
he's one of the best friends I have on planet earth. And we, I talk about anything with that guy. And I mean, anything. And I've never felt a single threat of judgment or anything like that. And it's a pretty amazing relationship when you look at it from the outside, because you've got a plain Amish guy and then you've got this thing here talking <laughs> about all these crazy magics and energies and vibrations and cannabis and THC and psilocybin. And then you've got the plain Amish community who represent, again, hard work, conservative thoughts and all that. Um, so I would say the Lancashire space is very inclusive and that's what I like to do. I like to include everybody. I like to share There's space for all thoughts, feelings, um, as long as we can, you know, have those core values to create a safe space for everybody. So it's, it's all over the place in a good way. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are, you know, all trying to get the same answers. You know, you all have the same questions. It's just how you approach finding those answers, but that's life, right? That's human. That's humanity right there. But I just love seeing, um, yeah, it's just an interesting, it's just an interesting thing that you've got going on there. I don't think it's, I mean, I don't think it's like anything else. Is it? It's pretty, I I remember hearing about you and I was like, wait, and we were, I was talking to our our mutual friend, Mike, uh, and Mike's like, you got to talk to Caleb or chat about what they've got going on. I was like, well, explain it to me. And I was like, wait a minute, start over. start over Um, because it's, you know, and I've been doing this for a while, man. Like, you know, I've seen kind of, I've seen lots of iterations, many different types of companies, lots of different, uh, you know, agricultural farmers um, trying to find their way to do it. I don't even want to say niche, but like their way to do it. Um, And this is unique for sure. You have a unique story, every, every part of it for sure. It is. And I can acknowledge that. And I guess, again, I, I, I always go back to it because it's why I'm here. I want to use it for good then to know something like that. And, you know, go with the cheesy sayings when there's lots of power, there's lots of responsibility. And, you know, what Lancashire is. That's not cheesy. Either. Uncle Ben said that. Not- yeah, that's true. That's true. Uncle Ben, <laughs> bless his heart. Um, bless his heart. You know, we, we are sitting in a unique position as the company now to really influence a community, to influence farmers on a positive uh, to create some value very much in someone's pocketbook, which is always like very good. Um, so yeah, we're, we're just excited to be here that, you know, we put in a lot of work just the first, what we're in year three now, I guess, mm-hmm. 2019. Yeah. It's hard to keep track. You know how time goes. Well, especially cannabis, you know, like yeah, cannabis years are, are, are different thing. It's like dog years. It really is. Uh, uh, you're the think, second person that said that today. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, funny. well, it's it's true. I mean, you know, I don't want to keep referencing movies, but we will. And Ferris Bueller said, you know, life moves pretty fast. And if you don't stop, you know, whatever to, to look around. <laughs> and that's especially true in, in cannabis because things are, you know, companies are coming, they're going. There's yeah. there's new technologies every day. There's new states going legal every month. You know, like this, it's all happening so fast. And I love it. Um yep. Speaking of the CBD industry has had its highs and its very low lows. Can you kind of give me your firsthand account on what's going on in Pennsylvania uh, and kind of what the, the ripple effect in or out from Pennsylvania is on that? Yeah, it was specifically CBD. So, you know, we had huge push of farmers, like I said, 2019, everybody grew a lot. 2020, that dwindled down probably by half, I'm going to say. Um, 
20, you know, as basically as the years have gone, there are less and less farmers growing because most farmers still have not found a way to monetize the crop fairly. The people, you know, the larger corporations out there that are ending up buying, you know, the large piles of biomass and doing that, um, they're not paying they're not paying fair prices. You know, part of that is factually the oversupply. So of course, when you have a lot of something, it costs a little, but we're kind of going into this transition now. What I'm seeing is the, the oversupply is gone and now we're starting to see, hey, who's growing hemp? Uh, and guess what? There's still not a lot of farmers who grow hemp because they're just burnt. Um, so we're seeing here, uh, you know, kind of coming up from the valley, if you'll say, of, you know, we survived the hard oversupply and now we're starting to see uh deeper relationships form where you, you know it's it's at the point in the industry as a you know we'll say the cannabis industry relatively new once again in the states where companies are you know they want to build the long-term relationship they, they don't want to just spot buy on the market um and i would say because customers don't want people spot buying customers want to know hey if you're if you're giving me a medicinal product, specifically cannabis, where customers are very aware, they want to know who grew it, what the strain is, you know, what what the care looked like, how did you grow it? You don't know those things if you're buying out on an open market for bottom prices. So it is starting to transition where companies are valuing, hey, I do, I need the value of a grower. I want to know exactly where it came from, the soil. I want to know all of that process so I can tell that story, you know, and pass it along in my product. So. I would say we're in a transition towards an uptrend of, hey, um, the education's getting out there. People are getting more comfortable with what CBD is. Uh, I'm no longer getting asked, you know, we'll say every day, well, does CBD get you high? Which is a funny little question, obviously, but, you know, it just kind of paints the picture where society's understanding has been the last three years, we'll say. Um, so, uh, yeah, my kind of overview is, you know, we're, we're coming up uh, very exciting times. And I think we're going to see, you know, kind of the the farmers that were able to plan and do it right. You know, they're getting to reap the benefits now. I agree. I think uh, there was a very scary moment maybe a year or two ago where there was so much hemp in this country that you couldn't give it away. Yeah. Um, and exactly, exactly to your point, which is, well, let me add to your point, which is there, there may be, there's more education on what CBD hemp is versus recreational medicinal cannabis, but also kind of those, comp a couple things, right? Like those companies are educating their consumers way better than they did in the beginning, way better because they have companies like Canna Planners to help them do that. That's my plug. Uh, but also that they have um, that they're starting to kind of view this like food, right? Like I want to know that this, and, and well, I want to know that this is organic. I want to know what farm this came from. I want to know what farming practice they used to, to, you know, to, to create this product because I'm ingesting it. And I think that with the, yep kind of combination of, uh, of companies like you guys taking it upon yourselves to educate your consumers and not rely on your retail partners or the media or bigger yeah. CBD companies who, you know, are selling bottom rock prices per pound. Um, so you're, those, those companies are, 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 they have more resources to educate better. Their customers now understand um, kind of the difference between 
good and bad, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, so again, it's just a confluence of, of getting to that, that timing aspect. Um, how do your farmers or what, what's been the kind of input from your, or feedback from your farmers on kind of that beginning volatility, because you did come in right at a time where, um, you know, you only had basically one season before the market kind of bottomed out. Yeah, that was rough, you know, and I, again, I'll say I'm fortunate because the farmers have been quiet and patient. Uh, they've been, they've been very, very patient. I couldn't ask for a better, a better group of farmers to work with, to be honest, like, you know, I don't, because, you know, to be fair, our kind of agreement was, hey, we're going to do all this together, which meant, you know, we're all in, we're all in on the good, we're all in on the bad. So it's not like there was anybody above us saying, hey, well, you know, we'll, we'll pay you this worst case scenario. You know, we're doing all this because we're planting, we're going to do it, we're going to turn this into some money and monetize this crop. Uh, so that's been a very long, slow process. And they've been great and patient. And I'm excited because I think Lancashire is kind of about to take that next step in the next couple months here where we're going to be able to kind of return that favor for all the waiting and the patience. Um, you know, we're about, we're talking some contract growing, um, you know, awesome. a couple opportunities like that where we're going to say, Hey, thanks for holding on and believing, uh, because, you know, we did make it, we're at a staple spot and we're starting to, again, find those partnerships that make sense. Um, and that believe in the values we do. Uh, and that's been the hardest part, to be honest, finding a company that has a similar kind of story and value to what we've been talking about in the corporate world so far, you know, really just doesn't exist. And that's sad well, to say, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, have firsthand accounts, several, several uh, in this state alone where, you know, this, this kind of uh, cooperative um uh, structure um, was introduced to lots of farmers by lots of different, you know, not lots, but a handful of different people tried this approach in this state and royally screwed over, mm. royally screwed over every, like there wasn't a success story among them. Uh, yep. So seeing this, seeing you do it correctly, uh, again, with such a specific kind of community focus around you, it's just awesome to see because I mean, that that approach makes sense this is how i mean it's how the dairy industry works you know like uh, you know mm. here in vermont cabot you know cabot buys out all of the you know the remaining you know milk in all of new england basically um yep. to, to make their products so it the business model works um, but for whatever reason here in vermont there were a lot of farmers who were originally taken advantage of um so it's awesome to see you not doing that mm. Uh, yeah. That. And that was one of the things I wanted to shift because I saw that happening a lot as I you know, started talking with farmers. I was like, this is ridiculous. You guys just keep getting taken advantage of whether it's dairy. Now it's going to be hemp. And that was a big part where I was like, listen, I can come up with a plan. We can come up with a plan where we don't have to. We, don't, we can beat that. Yeah, that's awesome that you, that you saw that um, and, you know, we're able to capitalize on it. So when you guys started, I think it, the, the primary focus was growing hemp, right? Like bulk flour, wholesale CBD or, or CBD flour. Yeah. Yeah. So when I started 2019, I did a small grow. I did a, I had a thousand square foot greenhouse and then I did a quarter acre outside and I, I focused on like high quality CBD flour. 
Um, so I did that the first year, year two, we were, we did a little bit of that as well. That's kind of what we grow to focus on is that top shelf smokable flour. Um, because that's the way we found to best monetize and actually get the value out. And then we can sell biomass and then we can do our distillates and stuff like that. But in order to really get the value of the crop, you know, we, we found two different avenues of creating money there. Um, so we grow for high quality CBD flour. Uh, we hand plant, we hand trim, hand harvest, hang dry, and then we, you know, hand do everything here. And we've manufactured, designed several different types of machinery from pre-roll machines, Keef machines, uh, Delta-8 infusions. So we're very innovative as well. Um, the team here at Lancashire is a really amazing group of people. That's awesome. What is your kind of rollout strategy for consumer product now that you've gotten into consumer products, you know, I see you, you have everything from vape cartridges to edibles and smokable flour, um, yeah. on your website, how, um, what's the strategy on, on the products? Um, you know, yeah. Is We're, there kind of like, cause I, I know for a lot of companies we work with, like the product line is part of what defines the brand. And I mean, the overarching kind of ethos of the brand. So can you relate to that? Can you talk about kind of deciding what you sell? Yeah. You know, for me, it's about, I mean, there's part of it, some practicality. How do we again monetize this plant, but also we're here to be a trusted source for plant-based medicine. Cause again, that's what's helped me on my journey. So when choosing products, those are kind of the things in mind. Okay. Practically, how do we, can we make it out of hemp? What can we make it? Uh, the discovery of new cannabinoids, you know, as we are able to research the plant is helpful for us because then we can add and formulate new products, introduce new medicine. Um, so for example, like Delta eight, when we first started using that, I was like, Hey, this is great. It's a whole different type of space and medicine. You know, there's a group of people that they don't want to get that psychoactive high you get from THC, but Delta eight offers relief. Um, but then there's also these other minors like CBG, which is energetic CBN, which is a little sleepy. So then we started looking at them like, well, let's do some formulations um, because again, I wanted to create as a medicinal product as possible. So that's usually our brand kind of approaches medicine. How do we, how do we approach this? So from our dosage sizing on our products, you know, the potency of things we use, uh, we're using very high quality. We test at medical marijuana uh, facilities to confirm, you know, potency and quality on as much as we can. Um, so we're, we're kind of approaching is let's, you know, share this story of medicine that we're growing here. Um, and then we're using that again to support the co-op. So we're really just trying to get into as many hands as possible, you know, share the story because it's going to ripple down and affect a lot of people here locally. With Kaufman's ice cream and company, you figured out kind of who your customer was, right. And it seems like you yeah. found this, this space for yourself in, uh, you know, private events and, and that sort of thing. How, um, when it came time to recognize your customer outside of the wholesale side of things, like your, mm. your B2C customer, uh, can you talk me through that? And then kind of the, the growth of, okay, we're, you know, we're selling locally, but we need to be a national company. Yeah. So I guess more of how are we finding the product specifically on, and that's a tough one because, you know, ice cream was easy. Um, the, the ice cream. Who doesn't like ice cream? Bought, yeah, it's ice cream. You don't have to. It's just easy. You don't have to sell it. ice cream. 
hemp was different because you have a million new hemp companies out there trying to be unique and do the same thing. At least, um, yeah. Yeah. Man, can you refresh the question? I, I got lost. So I was just saying, like, you, you figured out who your customer was for the ice mm, cream company yeah. when you were ready to kind of move out of a kind of B2B wholesale model with, with Lancashire Hemp. I mean, it sounds like in terms of like understanding your own brand and what or what mm-hmm. the role um, medicinal products played into that, how did you then kind of discover who that customer was there? And gotcha. then part two of that was like, how did you expand that to a national reach? Once you figured out who that was locally, like how do you mm-hmm. move that yeah, across exactly. the States? I'd say we're still discovering. So I guess one thing that I did from the beginning is probably uh, kind of like a, we'll say like a net catching concept was uh, one of the first things that I had on top of the website was like, we have products for every person's life. So being cannabis and being from a conservative area, it's harder to sell cannabis here because it's conservative. So that immediately had to get me thinking, well, how do I get conservative people to consume cannabis? They're not going to smoke it. And that's what we were doing. So I really focused on creating a, as wide of a variety of products as possible to catch as many people's attentions and lifestyles. So if you're not a smoker, fine, we can do a topical, we do tinctures, we have capsules. If you like to smoke, great. Here's some of the best smokable flour you can get on the market. And I can say that confidently, our flour is some of the best you can get out there. Uh, we put a lot of loving care into that from the seed to the, to the sale. Um, so I guess that's how we whittled it down. We started, you know, all right, let's do different lifestyles. Then from there, what started to sell was, um, you know, a lot more in the recreational spaces, to be honest, you know, we are in a lot of head shops and, you know, you're kind of your typical places. You're going to find CBD um, and maybe even a few gas stations, you know, which is funny because, you know, we have a maybe very a Wawa high- or two, Caleb. Uh, I'd love to be in Wawa. That would be so much fun. We're manifesting it right now. All right, Wawa. <laughs> um, just as a side note, since we're going to manifest some things about Wawa, yeah. I am also a big Harry Styles fan. And apparently <laughs> okay. Harry Styles has been to Wawa and also loves Wawa. So I just wanted to add that to the Wawa story. Let's go. We need that watermelon sugar, you yeah. know, Lancashire hemp collab. Let's get it out <laughs> there. Watermelon sugar flavored vape carts. So CBN. That I'll have to look into that. All right, let's see. <laughs> Um, I will so, say yeah. to your point, I did see, uh, or, or, you know, you brought up Harry Styles. So, yeah. I, uh, and if you haven't seen this, internet viewers and listeners, stop this podcast and go to YouTube and find it. But uh, Harry Styles was at Coachella and uh, did a duet with Shania Twain, and it was out of control amazing. The best. I saw some of that. Yes. And Feels I agree. Like- <laughs> uh we are lame (laughs) no that's what everybody else is talking about okay that's this by the way this is going to be the clip for this podcast is us talking about harry styles so i'm not ashamed of that i love harry styles listen i've had some you can ask my wife like i've had some very epic healing moments listening to some harry styles song like i've been in tears and i've had weeping sessions at some point, I'll meet Harry Styles. So, you know, we'll just, again, we're, we're this is the clip. Yep. Clip it, Tyler. And I'm, Tyler's my producer. Clip this, Tyler. This is the clip. All right. <laughs> I love that. The healing power of Harry Styles. Give it to me. Um, 
one last question. And again, the daylight is dwindling. I need to get you back out producing, no putting things in the ground, getting your hands dirty, uh, doing the things you actually want to do to grow your company. So one last, and this is kind of a big one, but so lots of kids. So you said that there were millions of CBD companies and you're not far off. There's many, many thousands of them for sure. Um, and they all have, you know, none of them are more than five years old, mm. <laughs> 10 years max. Um, yep. Lots of them uh, have used CBD as an opportunity to get the foot in the door for adult use, right? Mm. It was an opportunity. It is an opportunity to build a brand. It is an opportunity to, uh, you know, get a lot of the um, hurdles of starting a company, you know, understanding who that customer is, understanding what products they should be making, building yeah. the brand. Uh, I'm curious about your thoughts on that and whether that's even a, a, an aspiration for Lancashire hemp. Yeah, it definitely is. So um, that is, that is something on our radar. We're, we're hoping to be, you know, in the lineup I've had, uh, several different meetings with probably more than five different uh, local representatives in the House of Pennsylvania talking about, you know, hey, can you expand the medical marijuana medical marijuana program to include more growers, to include some micro growers that could be, you know, part of Lancashire. Uh, the, uh, we have a few Amish farmers that are waiting for permits as then, hey, when we're able to, we are going to go after, you know, some permits. We'd love to be able to add that to our model. Um, and then even beyond that, I'll say, you know, an, another step in the future will be psilocybin. Uh, so along with cannabis, psilocybin has been a big part of my healing journey. Um, yeah. And I've been actively, you know, dosing and doing different therapeutic sessions with myself and learning about uh, the mushroom. And uh, we want to be able to offer that eventually when, you know, that's legal and available because, you know, it's another great tool to use in the healing of past traumas. Um, so yeah, both of those things are on the radar for Lancashire, you know, THC grow license and hopefully a psilocybin, uh, research license and development, you know, when that is, I think that'll come around the next few years as well. That's, that's amazing. And it's, you know, great to have those kinds of aspirations that kind of answers my last question, which is, uh, you know, where do you hope to see Lancashire hemp in the next three years? Sounds like, uh, you know, dipping a toe in, in psychedelic medicine and also maybe being firmly rooted in, in, uh, adult use where, where else do you hope to be? Yeah. Maybe add one more thing to that. So kind of, um, in the, in the sharing mentality, again, I'd like to be able to be uh, a trusted place for that medicine and also create a space for that. So I'd like to be able to include some sort of a center. Um, you know, a lot of the work that I'd like to start doing, um, you know, as Lancashire becomes, more financially stable would be, you know, outside of, we'll say your typical, you know, business thoughts and structures. Again, my goals and aspirations are to change society's uh, mindsets, to change laws, to help educate. Um, I'd really like to dive deep into doing, um, you know, a, a center for healing for childhood trauma. I'd like to be an advocate. I'd like to, you know, help change the educational system to make children uh, more aware of, you know, let's just say body parts, feelings, communication, um, instead of focusing so much on the academic side of things. I think we're lacking some emotional intelligence development for our children in school systems. Um, so kind of those are the areas I'd like to start to get into to use my gifts of influence. Um, you know, it's, it's fine. We all need to make money and money makes change. 
but I did see, you know, one of those quotes on LinkedIn today about it was something like, I want to make money not to be rich, but because of the freedom it brings. Um, I don't want freedom for myself, but I'd like to have a bunch of money so I can help create freedom for others. Um, so that's really the expansion of Lancashire is how do we get to that place where we can do all this together and, and really create a ripple of change in, in cannabis, in, um, you know, in child education, in changing the statistics for, you know, molestation. Um, I think it's one in every three girls is molested and one in every four boys is molested. Um, so that's a pretty big statistic that as a society, we just really haven't stopped and had a deep conversation about how do we change this? Uh, you know, why are we passing this down generation to generation? Let's let's figure this out. So I'd say that's uh, that's my future, I think, for expanding Lancashire into those spaces. Well, I appreciate you being honest about kind of your experience with trauma. Uh, and it's been really, you know, not for nothing. It's been really interesting to hear that uh, be a big motivating factor into where you are today. Um, and yeah. I definitely appreciate you, you talking about your, your story. And I, and I hope uh, the, the takeaways are, are vast. They definitely are for me. Uh, Caleb Kaufman, the founder and CEO of uh, not only, well, you're not the, the CEO of the ice cream shop, but uh, the found, I'm going to cut this. We're going to edit that. Let me do That's that again. Fine. You can call me whatever you want, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to edit that. Uh, Caleb Kaufman, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. He is the founder and CEO of Lancashire Hemp. Uh, Caleb, let the people know where we can find out more about you. Yeah, I guess you can check uh, check us out at LancashireHemp.com. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. I do a lot of just sharing of thoughts and posting. Um, so that's always a good spot to check in on me personally because I'm not much of a social media person. Uh, and then, of course, Instagram for Lancashire, Facebook, all those good things. Or, you know, you can find us there and uh, see a little bit more what we're doing on day to day. Again, I appreciate your time very much. We will link those below in the description. Uh, nice. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been another episode of Common Sense of Mia. I have been your host, Will Reed. Uh, my guest has been Caleb Kaufman of Lancashire Hemp. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.